All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Gary. Uh, and it's good to see everybody here today. Um, my, as yeah, Pastor said, my name is or my name is Pastor Austin. I'm the kids and youth and janitorial and internet pastor and custodial and you know just kind of anything else that needs to be uh, kind of taken care of around the church. So it's it's good to be actually able to see people's faces instead of you know hiding behind uh, the the tech booth or you know hanging out with the kids in the nursery or downstairs, but. Uh, before we get started here today, I would love it if you would help me settle a question that I've been wondering. If you are boarding an airplane and you have the choice between a window seat, the middle seat, or the aisle seat, how many of you guys would say that it is absolutely God's will for you to have the window seat? It is your will, God's blessing, his divine presence is upon you. Absolutely right. Now, how many of you guys would prefer the aisle seat? You know, just in case you need to run up, go to the bathroom. Yeah, aisle seat's pretty good. Uh, get up and stretch your legs. Got a little bit more leg room for us tall people. And then how many of you guys, you know, would prefer the middle seat? N no, no, nobody at all? See, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, for me, the window or the middle seat just kind of seems like it might be a little bit of a precursor to hell. It is, you know, just a glimpse into what you know hell could look like. So today, I want to talk about overcoming our selfish attitudes and becoming extravagant in generosity. Extravagant in generosity. When preparing for today's message, I came across an article entitled, Science Shows Us We Are Selfish. Isn't that kind of weird? I figured we didn't need to have a study to show us that people are selfish. You just need to go to like a shopping center around Christmas time or hang out with a two-year-old to know that people are selfish. You don't have to give selfish lessons to a two-year-old. Hey, hey there. I'm, today, we're gonna teach you how to be selfish. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take your toy, and when I do, I need you to scream at the top of your lungs, mine! We don't need to do that. People know how to be selfish. You don't need that conversation, and by our nature, you can just look around and see that people are inherently selfish. See, according to this article, bad news for men is this. We are generally more selfish than women. Sorry guys, it says, the study says that this shows that the male neural reward system is more stimulated by self-centeredness. Women, on the other hand, they li are likely to get a dopamine rush whenever they do something good for people. Why is that? Well, people argue that it's because men are wired to survive. We say that we are going to go out of our cave, we are going to hunt and kill something, drag it back, so we can survive. And on the other hand, women get more uh, stimulated. Uh, they get their dopamine rush when they help other people survive. They are nurturers and get excited about helping others. So typically speaking, women tend to be more generous. Men, how many of you guys enjoy working out? Either you know, in the past or currently, you try to stay in shape. Yeah. Well, men, if you're in good shape, the news gets worse. The article says that the bigger muscles tend to lead to a smaller heart. On average, muscle guys are less generous than the guys who drive past the gym straight to the pizza shop. See, but going back to the airplane, for those of you guys who were my window seat people, you tend to be much more selfish on average 
than those who prefer the aisle seat. And ladies, if you're feeling pretty good about yourself, you know, pretty happy that men are getting all the blame, well, you know, men's aren't the only ones who are selfish. When it comes to chocolate, it is every woman for herself. Studies are clear that if a woman is with her best friend and she has a choice between a bigger piece of chocolate cake and a smaller piece of chocolate cake, she is going to hose her friend every single time, and she is going to take that larger piece of cake. She is eating that cake. See, our culture is all about selfishness. What does culture tell us? Gratify yourself. Indulge yourself. Get whatever you can get. Get what is yours. It is all about you. Jesus, on the other hand, says if you want to be his disciple, you don't indulge yourself. Instead, you start by denying yourself. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, it's not about getting more of what you want. It starts with self-denial. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and then you follow Jesus. Rather than being selfish in all that we do, I believe that God is calling us to acts of extravagant generosity. I want you to take a look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 26, or excuse me, 26. When Solomon was talking about lazy and selfish people, he says of them, all day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. In our culture today, it is natural to be selfish, to crave and crave and crave and want more. But there is another type of person who is righteous, a follower of Christ. And this person gives and does not hold back. They lead the way with irrational generosity because they believe it is truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. When we give, we want to give as God gave. We want to give without holding back. I want to share with you today three different mindsets about generosity that we're going to be borrowing from Pastor Craig Rochelle. Three different mindsets about generosity. The first one is what he calls the bag mindset. This, uh, this person with the bag mindset believes that there is never enough. The person with the bag mindset believes that there is never enough ever enough. See, this is how most people grew up and live, with a poverty mindset, with a lack, a scarcity mindset. Let's take a look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. Let me give you a little bit of context. God's people at this time um, were not putting God first. They were taking care of themselves, or at least they were trying to, but they were not rebuilding the temple of God as he instructed. But they, were, uh, they did not put God first. And because of it, Haggai chapter 1, chapter 6, or verse 6 says, You have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a bag without, with holes. You earn wages to put it into a bag with holes, the bag mindset. Most Americans tend to live this way. We don't put God first because we believe that there's never enough. When it comes in, that there's holes in the bag. 
I'd love to give more, Pastor. I'd really love to be more generous, but there's not enough in the bag. I'd really love to make a difference. I, didn't, I wish I didn't always have to worry about money. But there's not enough in the bag. What's interesting about the, the bag mindset, Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, carried a bag. Judas was the money keeper, and he was all about the bag. In fact, there's a very powerful story in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, about a woman who was most likely a prostitute that had been changed by, changed by Jesus. She experienced the presence and the blessing and the goodness of God, and this crazy woman took a jar of perfume that was valued at about a year's worth of wages, and when she gave and worshipped Jesus, she did not hold back. She broke open the jar of perfume and poured it on top of Jesus as an extravagant act of worship because of who he is and because of what he has done for her. She gave and she did not hold back. And Judas, the guy with the bag, speaks up and says, what are you doing, stupid woman? You, have, you could have sold that perfume, taken the money, and given to the poor. But the problem is, Judas was distorted in his own understanding and love of money. Not only was he guarding a money bag, but he was taking out for himself. He had a problem. He said that he could sell this, and just shortly after, the guy who gets mad about how this gift is freely given ends up betraying Jesus selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because he wanted to put a little more in his bag. It's the bag mindset. It's inevitable. Money doesn't grow on trees. We're going to have to go without. The rich get rich and the poor get poorer. We're always going to have to struggle. I wish I could do more, but there's not enough in the bag. There's another mindset that we call the basket mindset. In the bag, there's never enough, but in the basket, there actually is enough. Let me show you the blessings of the basket. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 2 says, All of these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord. The people in the book of Haggai in their time did not put God first. They didn't rebuild the temple and they didn't obey God. But when God's people did, Scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 5, blessing or blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. There will be enough. Let's go to the New Testament. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says this, give and it will be given to you. Notice he didn't say keep and it would be given to you. Do not hoard and give it to you. He says, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measurement, it will be measured to you in return. See, why did Jesus say, give, and it will be given to you? Jesus understood that you can keep what you have, or you can give it. He knew that when you keep what you have, that is all that you have. But when you give, God can multiply what you give. What you keep is all you have, but what, God give, what you give, God
God multiplies. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You may be wondering, what is that imagery about good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over? See, the crowd that was listening to Jesus at the time would have had a good context uh, because they knew that a rich landowner would often be very generous uh, to those who were poor. And the rich landowner would say to his workers at the end of the week, leave some of the grain at the edge of the field. That way, those who are struggling and those who are hungry can come and take that as a gift, as God has blessed us with so much. We want to be a blessing to others. So think about the type of basket that you would carry if you are a minimum wage worker working for, uh, working for this landowner. And your job is to carry grain from the field all the way to the barn. See, if you're just working for minimum wage, how full do you think you would fill your basket? Probably not going to, you know, I don't know about you, but me, I probably wouldn't fill it all the way up to the top. You don't want to be spilling it everywhere. Uh, you're carrying this all day, so you probably don't want it to be too heavy. And you're going to take your time and you're going to you know, carry this as comfortably as you, as you can uh, to the barn. But on the other hand, if my family is hungry, if I'm receiving this generous gift from a wealthy landowner and I carry my basket to the edge of the field and I know that this is what I'm going to be able to feed my family for this week, how am I going to fill my basket then? I'm going to fill it good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Receiving the full gift from the generous landowner. And when you give, God gives to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Because what you keep is all you have. But what God gives, or what you give, God multiplies. You don't understand the imagery quite yet. Uh, imagine you're going to a convenience store to get an icy, you know, those little, you know, slurpy type of things. Um, how do you fill that cup? You put the icy in there, and if you're wise, you know, after a little bit, you pack it down, and then go back, you know, try to fill it up a little bit more. Then if you're really wise, you know, you take the dome cup, you stick it on top, you go back, you fill it back up until it's almost overflowing out the top like a volcano. And then, you know, if you're sneaky, take your straw, and then you go back for more. You see, <laughs> that is how you fill your icy cup. When you give, God gives back to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will he give unto you. It is the bag where God gives you enough. Let me give you a couple more stories from Scripture. The Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17, there was a widow who had a young son. This poor widow, all she had left was a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of flour left in her basket. She said, I am going to make a loaf of bread, and then my son and I are going to go out, and we're going to die. We have nothing left to eat. And my son and I are going to starve. Elijah the prophet comes up and says, would you give me some bread? She says, I would love to do this, but I can't because all I have is a little bit of flour, a little bit of or oil in my basket. And after we make this loaf, my, or my son and I are going to die. 
the prophet challenged her, would you trust God? Just give the man of God and see what happens. And this woman who had almost nothing made the most courageous, faith-filled decision to honor God in that moment by giving to him what she had almost nothing of. And if you read the story, what is so powerful in this moment, that is from that moment on, God always multiplied what was in her basket. She always had enough flour in the basket. In the New Testament, Jesus was teaching one day, there were about 5,000 men, probably about another 5,000 children, and about you know 5,000 women or so. And at the end of the day, the disciples came up and said, everybody's hungry, but nobody had any food. A little boy came up carrying a lunch basket, and he had five loaves and two fish in it. The little boy did not keep what was in his basket, but he gave what was in his basket. And when he gave what he gave in his basket, um, God multiplied and it fed everyone there. And at the end of the meal, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Why 12 baskets? Well, I mean, we don't know for sure, but perhaps, just perhaps, it was so God could give to each one of the 12 disciples a basket for them to remember and take home and remind them that with God, there is always enough. See, there's the bag mindset. There's never enough. I wish I could give more, but I can't. There's the basket mindset. God's provision. When we give, God multiplies and we have enough. There's another mindset called the barn. When you recognize in God's kingdom, there is way more than enough. There is way more than enough. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 say this. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your, bar or so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When we honor God and we give him the first of what he entrusts to us, our barns will be filled and overflowing. What does God want? God always wants us to be first in, wants to be first in our lives. He always wants to be first. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. In the Old Testament, it was what was called the first fruits or the tithe. Uh, the tithe literally comes from a Hebrew word called ma'ather, and it literally means one-tenth. Whatever God gives to us in an act of worship and obedience to him, we return one-tenth back to God and say, God, you are our provider. You are first in every single way. I acknowledge that everything that I have comes from you, and I worship you by giving back to you what you already declare is yours. I bring you my first fruits, the first of what you gave me, I bring back to you. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. God says this, Sanctify to me every firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. Firstborn. The first offspring of every womb among the son of, or sons of Israel, both man and beast, it belongs to me. In other words, if your sheep gives birth to a lamb, you give God the first lamb. You don't wait until you have ten and then uh, pick the ugliest one to give to God. You give him the very first one. 
you jump forward to verse chapter or verse 13, it says, but every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. What does that mean? Well, there are two different types of animals. There are the clean animals, and then there are the unclean animals. The lamb is a clean animal, and the donkey is an unclean animal. And what you do if you have an unclean animal or an unclean donkey that is born is you redeem it. You purchase the right for that animal, that donkey, to live with the life of a clean lamb. If you don't purchase the life of the donkey, you break its neck of the donkey because you did not purchase the right to his life. What does that mean? All right, so question for you guys. When you were born, were you born clean or unclean? Unclean, right? Right, we were born as sinners. We inherit a sinful nature. Um, that is why we don't have to learn how to sin. We are unclean and we are sinful by nature. Now, how, now who was Jesus to God? Jesus was the firstborn. Jesus is the Son of God. He's called the Lamb of God. Was Jesus clean or unclean? He was clean, right? Jesus never sinned. He didn't inherit the sin nature from an earthly father, but instead he inherited the spiritual divine nature from his heavenly father. He was clean in every single way. How did God give? God gave, and he did not hold back. He gave his firstborn son, his one and only son. He gave the clean lamb of God who was without spot and without blemish. Why did God do this? God gave Jesus to redeem us for our, our sins. When did God give? God gave first. He gave before we ever confessed our sins, before we ever said that we needed him. God gave first. Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave first. And what God gave multiplied the life of one for the life of many. The clean one to redeem the lives of us who are unclean. That is why God asks us to give first. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. He's asking us to put him first in every single moment and area of our life. Not just financially, but this is one of the easiest and most, tan or not easiest, excuse me, but one of the most tangible and most consistent places, and it takes so much faith. So much faith to step out and give back to God and worship God with the first of what he has given us. When you give, you don't give just 10%, but you give the first tenth. The first, the very first. It takes faith to give first. It doesn't take faith to give last. It takes so much faith to give first. And maybe that's why this is the only time in Scripture that God gives us permission to put him to the test. He says, if you don't believe me, test me. Try it out. Try it. Worship me with your tithe and see if I will not 
only throw open the window of heaven and give you barn-type blessings. Not just increases in your finance, but joy, uh, spiritual contentment, and peace. Put God first. How did God give? God gave, and he did not hold back. So, dear God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that... Uh, you gave your son, Jesus. You gave him first before we ever knew that we needed you, before we were even born, God. We know that you decided to give your son to us first, and we thank you for that. God, we want to honor you and bless you uh, in the same way that you blessed us. God, I pray that uh, you would give us the strength and the faith to step forward and follow your example by giving the first of what you have given to us. God, we worship you with our time. We, we worship you with our time. We worship you uh, in the morning when we wake up. And at the beginning of each week as we come and worship you together. God, I pray that uh, you would give us faith, that you would give us the courage to be able to stand up and to live and to follow in the blessings that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' name.